tell you, God is good. God, yes, and all the time, God's good. Thank you. You know, it's um, moments like this, I sit here and think, oh, God, you sure you want me to preach this message? <laughs> I mean, I know what I'm supposed to preach on today. I know he's told me this. Um, and then a moment like that, and say, all right, all right, we can do this. We've been talking about growing as a Christian. And I've used the illustration of in our, own, in our old home when the kids were younger, we would, in our one closet, the food pantry closet, we had marks on the wall. We'd put the boys in there and get the ruler, the yardstick, and put a little mark and measure it and how far. And we'd measure their growth. And it was an incredible thing because you watch little children as they grow and you sort of, sort of measure them out against maybe each other's siblings. And you say, man, this is great. Look at my kids growing. And, and then we get the report cards. And we get to the end of the school year. And next you know, they're going into the next grade. And my kid's growing. They're maturing. They're changing clothes. They're getting bigger clothes. They're getting a driver's license. They're growing up. It's easy to measure where we are in growing, right? But the question is, how do we measure spiritual growth? How do we walk in here on a Sunday morning and walk out on a Sunday morning and say, I wonder if I'm spiritually growing? You know, I, I remember growing up and it seemed like this is how you measure spiritual growth. By the number of times you showed up at church, how many times you brought your Bible with you and if you memorized verses. Because, man, church attendance was everything. That's, that's why I remember growing up. But I've learned that's not everything. It's changed. And I've learned that our growth is measured in many ways. And, and some of those ways we were talking about, we talked about when you are growing in your faith, you're not complaining as much anymore because you're praising God more. With the breath that God has given you, you've learned to praise God. Say, God, you're incredible, you're wonderful. We've learned that if you're growing in your faith, you are praying more. You're not just reciting some verse or some prayer you grew up with saying or the football team, let's take a knee and say the Lord's Prayer and then let's go rip their heads off. You know, It's like, well, did that prayer really matter or mean anything? It's just repetitious. But as a Christian, you realize if you're growing, your prayers change. You pray more and you have a little more understanding when you pray. But that's not the only thing, the only way we can measure growth. It's how we give, how we serve. And that's our focus today as we continue this. And I heard this story about a church down in the deep south. And if you've ever been down south and you've heard a preacher preach, especially in the Bible Belt, he's got himself a southern accent. He knows how to pound the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't, I'm not very good at that. I'll try it, okay? But, but he was in his sermon, and, and, and as he was in his sermon it was like this growing crescendo to the end. And he's nearing the end of the sermon. And he said, this church is like a crippled man. It's got to get up and walk. And the congregation responded, that's right. That's right, Reverend. Let's walk. Let it walk. And he added, this church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, has got to run. And the church was like, that's right, preacher. Let it run. Let it run. This church... He's got to mound up like wings of an eagle and fly. Let it fly, preacher. Let it fly. It's just, it's just rolling. Yeah, now this church is going to fly. It's going to need money. And the church responded, let it walk, pastor. Let it walk. Oh, See, we all want to see the work of God done, right? Eh, to a certain extent, to a certain point, right? We all want to see people grow spiritually. Right? And we all want to function to our greatest, 
highest spiritual capacity, don't we? Don't we want to be the salt in this world? Don't we want to be the light into this world? Don't we want to be the change agent in this world for Jesus Christ? I believe we would all say yes. But it's debatable as to whether or not we want to hear what the Bible has to say about giving that gets us there. You know, although one-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables that Jesus taught talked about giving, pastors are reluctant to preach on it because we fear the congregation is going to rear up like a bull at a rodeo and buck us off. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, we're talking about giving again? We're out of here. Well, inspired by Chuck Swindoll, another pastor said this about giving. If a pastor were to preach on giving your time to God and making sure you give and devote time throughout the week to God, we'd nod our heads and we would be moved to devotion. He said if a pastor were to preach on giving our talents to God, using what God has gifted with us for His glory, whether it's our singing, our ability to teach or lead or whatever it may be, we would nod our heads and we would move to action. Yes, we need to do that. If a pastor were to preach on sharing with those in need, oh, we'd empty our closets and, and we would empty our cupboards and give to those who are in need and we'd nod our heads and say, yes, let's do that. If a pastor were to preach at Christmas time and encourage the church to be giving and charitable, we would nod our heads and we would find a way to bless strangers and our neighbors. If a pastor were to preach on giving money to the church using what God's blessed us with, to give for the continuing of this ministry, we'd shake our heads and claim, hey, here's another sermon on giving. Isn't that true? Appreciated Pastor Swindoll for sharing that. Listen, I, I understand what the Bible says about giving and about tithing, which is giving back to God. See, my, my whole life, I've grown up in the church. So I've seen how churches take in money and I've seen how churches spend money. I've seen plenty of budgets. And because we want to do things the right way, just as in everything else in life, we're not excluded from picking up the Bible and saying, how do we give the right way? How do we as a church function with our finances in a way that we're being good stewards with what God's given us? Because we want to do things the right way, we'll look to the Bible and we'll look and say, how do we do this? We open up at the very beginning in Genesis, and what do we find out? That there is a God who loves us so much that he did what? He gave us. He gave us this earth. Sun, moon, stars. Water to drink. Water to swim in. Water to clean ourselves with. Air to breathe. Bodies created in the image of God. Flowers, trees, plants, animals to be our pets or to look at and laugh at. He gave all that from the very beginning. He gave us dominion. He gave us purpose. He gave us love. And we reciprocate by giving back and saying, thank you, God. This is how we thank God, by how we give. In the Old Testament, giving was part of your property or sacrifice or your children or your best. It was, it was your first fruits. My first child, God belongs to you. They all belong to you. Our first harvest, my first fruits go to you. God, I'll give you a tenth of what I have for you. We read through that all through Old Testament, New Testament. 
It's still all about giving. Maybe not percentages, but I'm going to give you everything I have. Giving was seen in the temple. Giving was seen in life. Giving helped the ministry of Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'll get one for you. Just raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. But grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So if you go in the middle of your Bible and find the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, and then the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 8. In the book of Luke chapter 8, starting from the very beginning, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured, listen, this, cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. You know, there's an eye-opening study that was done by Rick Renner on these ladies, their backgrounds, their occupations, their resources, and how they gave. It was very interesting, and there's no deep secrets or special steps to giving. It wasn't like, okay, to be a good giver, what do I need to do, and so forth and so on. It was really simple. Jesus saved these ladies from their sins. He cast out demons in a couple of them. He healed them of their diseases. And because he gave them new life and new salvation, they're like, we want to give back. Have you ever felt that way before? Somebody gives you a wonderful gift or they do something for you, and don't you just want to reciprocate and give them something back? It's like, man, thank you so much. If I could do the same, I would do that for you, right? Don't we often feel that way, especially in the holidays or your birthday or some special occasion? Or somebody just out of the blue does something for you, and you're like, man, I just want to give some back to them. I saw an incredible thing. Uh, one of the schools uh, nearby said they wanted to do a positivity challenge. And what happened was their FCA group said, we're going to make this challenge to all the students in our, in our huddle. And they said this, find a teacher in your school whom has really impacted you. As a matter of fact, they make you want to come to school every day. Write a letter to that teacher. Tell them how much you appreciate them and that you've inspired me to want to come to school every day. And then take that letter and go give it to that teacher and express your thanksgiving to that teacher. Well, they did that and they videotaped every one of them. And they compiled them together and they sent it to me to watch. And the kids were so excited about this. Like, we're actually going to see this. And I watched it, and it was, it was amazing. These students have a letter. They hand it to the teacher. I just want to let you know that you encourage me, and you, you're the reason what really makes me want to come to school today. You've made a difference in my life. Can you imagine if you're a teacher getting that from a student? And the teacher gets the letter and looks at it, and it's just really funny because, like, all the lady teachers, they're all like, oh, oh. You know, you're going to hear that from the lady. And the guys are like, um, uh, thanks. This is the awkwardness, you know. And then you've got this student, this high school student, they just gave some of that teacher. And with all the teachers, you could see it. They just wanted to give back. Some of the lady teachers were like, can I give you a hug? And, and the, men, the men teachers were like, I really want to give you a hug, but I think I'll probably get sued if I do. So I'm just going to keep my distance. But you could just see it in. They wanted to give back so much. 
And in this story, as I'm looking here, these women, these people, their lives were changed. It's not complicated. A life changed means you're going to do something for that person who helped you, right? So what did these ladies do? They gave of their finances back to Jesus to say, because of what you've done for us, we want you to do the same for everybody else that you work with. Jesus, wherever, wherever you're going today, whatever town you're visiting, we want to be a part of that ministry. We want to see lives impacted as our lives have been impacted and changes as our lives have been changed. They pulled out of their pockets and they gave to Jesus to go do the ministry. As I told you, when you are changed spiritually, the question is, are you growing now? How are you doing, church, in your giving? I'm not talking about just the offering, okay? How are you doing with your giving? How are you doing with your praising God? How are you doing with your prayer life? Are you growing, church? Hey, Thanksgiving is a couple of days away. Some of you might have a get-together today. Anybody got a get-together today? I'm just sort of curious. Raise your hand. Some of you do. Cool. Here's what's going to happen, because I see it all the time. You're going to see it, too. You're going to show up, especially if it's where all the cousins and uncles and aunts and people you haven't seen in about a year get together. You all get together, and what happens? Oh, you, you look so different. You're all grown up now. Come here and let me squeeze your cheeks, right? That happened, right? And all the little kids who aren't in here now, they're in grades that class, they're in the back in junior class. They're like, they're, they're, they're not excited about holidays. They can't wait for the gifts. But they know they've got an aunt or an uncle that's going to squeeze their cheek and it's going to just pull hard or they're going to like grab their knees and try to tickle them because it's like, that's what you do. You tickle little kids like, Grandpa, I'm 18 now. Stop trying to tickle me, right? Okay. But when you haven't seen somebody in a long time, you look at them it's like, man, you have changed. You've grown up. And adults were like, that doesn't happen to us anymore. But I'm going to say something like this. Adults, sometimes our looks change. They do. I completely bypassed somebody this week. I was at Ace Hardware, and I was just milling around and looking at stuff, and I was on my way out, and I was in a hurry. It had been that kind of day, and it's like, I need to get going. And somebody at the checkout kind of didn't even recognize her. Didn't recognize her. It's like, hey, Rex. like, hey. And I was like, I had no clue who that is. And I'm rushing out. Next day, Jenny says, um, I was talking to so-and-so, and they wanted to know why. They want to know if you're mad at them. Because you didn't say, really, you didn't stop and talk to them. You acted like they weren't even there. I was like, who was it and where were they? And she told me, I was like, that was her? I hadn't seen her in a year. She's an adult and her looks had changed. Her hair was long now. And I was like, I was amazed. See, we, we change, don't we? So here's the question I want to ask you again. Spiritually, do you look different today than you did last week? Spiritually, if you, if you can measure that. Are you growing? Are you striving? For some reason, God laid a, a story on my heart weeks ago to share with you today from the Bible. And it's an amazing story in the Old Testament. Now, many, many of you may not remember this story, but the story reminds me of a few principles for godly living and godly giving. Okay? Here's the three principles. First, Here's the first one. First of all, myself and my family are not perfect, but God still provides so that we can give back. That's the first thing I learned out of this story. Let me say that again. Myself and my family, we are not perfect, but God still provides for us so that we can give back. 
Here's the second principle I'm getting out of the story. I'm telling you the points, bullet points right now before we ever get there. Okay, I'm helping you out, okay? Here's the second point. What I have belongs to God. What I have belongs to God. Here's the third bullet point. Am I willing to take my most valued treasure and place it in the hands of God? It's more of a reflective question than it is a bullet point. Am I willing to take my most valued treasure and place it in the hands of God? Now, giving you those points, let's go to the story. 1 Samuel. So now we go all the way back to the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Boom, 1 Samuel. You're right there. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 1. As you're turning there, um, I'm going to tell you again, some of these names are going to be sort of fun. And you're like, where did they come up with that? Right? It's like, I haven't heard this story in a long time. Some of you may have never heard this story before. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There's a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. You thought Pettisville was a tough one. Okay. He was the son of Jeroboam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives. Hannah and Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah did not. Let me pause. First of all, let's talk about Elkanah. What a name, right? If you had to list your favorite Bible characters, has anybody ever heard anybody say, Elkanah, man, love him? You never have it, have you? He's not like a top ten Bible name, is he? He's like, who is Elkanah? Never heard. Not a popular name. Not an inspirational leader. Not like... I'm, he didn't make the top ten flannel graph. Okay? You guys remember flannel, flannel graph? Remember those? There's no Elkanah. Okay? There's, he doesn't exist. All right? Sort of an unknown man. Okay? And, that, and it's important that we hear this. That he's an unknown man when it comes to biblical popularity. But you've heard of his wife, perhaps, or wives. The percentages increase as we move then discussing his son, one of his sons. Before I re- reveal his son's name, understand this. God begins his plan as he always does, and that is with this, a person that he can use. Did you hear that? God begins his plan as he almost always does with a person he can use. Listen, God can do things on his own. God is big enough to handle the work on his own. God is big enough to do mighty things on his own. He does not need us. He has angels. They could do other things as well. He has any number of other means to accomplish his plans and his purpose. But the amazing thing is, is that his normal method is to find men and women and work through them. That's amazing to me. Now, here's the thing I want to challenge you with right off the bat. Church, do not dismiss, do not disqualify yourself because of your past, because of your income, because of your position, because of your talent, or because of your knowledge. Some of you have already discounted yourself and disqualified yourself, saying, I can't be used by God because of my past. I can't be used by God because I'm not smart enough. I can't be used by God because, well, my life is a mess. My family, my spouse, my kids. Okay, drop it. You are not allowed to disqualify yourself. You may feel unworthy. You may feel unknown. Church, you may feel incapable 
of teaching a class or serving in the church or making a difference for the kingdom of God. But never count yourself out for what God can do through you is an amazing thing. And this man's name, Elkanah, seems like, what can God do through Elkanah? And it's two wives. Two wives? What? Two? Okay, this guy's in trouble already, right? Two wives. Now, what we need to understand, because as you read through the Bible, it's like, well, see, Elkanah had two, I can have two. Okay, first of all, not a good idea, okay? Second of all, just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it right. What's talked about in the Bible is that polygamy, multiple wives, multiple spouses, was a fact of life in the ancient world, but the Bible never agrees with it, nor puts polygamy in a favorable light. Matter of fact, the Bible speaks the other way. Strife and conflict always come with polygamy. Genesis teaches us one man, one woman, marital status. End of story. Malachi teaches the same thing. The prophets. Jesus gets into the Gospels, teaches the same thing. One man, one woman, that is your marriage. And in this story, there's an intense competitive relationship between the two wives. Penia and Hannah are going at it. More like, I should say, Penia is going at it with Hannah. See, Penia has children. Hannah has no children. In the ancient times, and even today, but more so in ancient times, if you were childless, if you had no kids, you're nothing. And you felt like nothing. And Hannah felt like nothing. Let's read on, verses 3 to 7. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of the heaven armies of the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. And on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peniah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peniah would taunt Hannah as he went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. You know, as Elkanah brings his family every year at that time to bring the sacrifice to God, he had this ceremonial meal. And as they got there at the tabernacle to eat with his family, they gave portions to the children. He showed his favor and love by Hannah by actually, even though you read this this way, he actually gave her a double portion. He loved her. But because of the conflict between the two wives, Hannah couldn't enjoy this display of love from Elkanah. I got a double portion. I can't eat it. I'm not hungry. I'm being taunted by Penia all the time. I feel worthless. No good. Let me ask you this, church. Is it possible for problems at home to make your time at church miserable? Think about that. Hannah's at the house of the Lord. She got blessed with a double portion. She can't even enjoy it. She came to worship God, and she cannot enjoy it because things at home are not good. I'm going to guess there's been a time when you've shown up at church on a Sunday. It might even be today. where Before you walked in the door, there's a lot of this going on in the car. Or maybe at home. There's a lot of... All kinds of tension. And maybe this week was a bad week at home or your spouse. It affects worship all the time. So we're sitting here reading this. It's like, yep, 
I can relate to Hannah right now. It's hard to worship God when there's tension in the house. Worship gets stifled and ruined and distracted because of what's going on at home. And it seems like, yeah, all the time. And it seems strange that Penya, who seems to be a bad character in this situation because she's blessed with children, and Hannah, who seems to be the good character because she has no children, seems like she's cursed with barrenness. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. And sometimes the things that happen at home don't make sense as to why there's tension and why there's strife. We don't understand God's ways. Listen. Until, that's a huge word in the Bible. We don't understand God's ways until he completes his plan. So whatever tension's going on right now, until God completes his plan, you don't know what he's going to do. Listen, even though it's hard, God is in charge. Even though it's hard, God is in charge. Church, you've got to remember that. You've got to remember that. Look at verse 8 to 11. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me? Isn't that better than having ten sons? Okay, we need to pause for a second. <laughs> men, men, men. There are the right things to say to a woman. And there are not so right things to say to a woman. This would be one of them, okay? I mean, most of us have mastered the later, the, the latter part, right? Gentlemen, we, we, we could probably have a big list. Don't say this ever again to my wife. Don't ever say this. Don't ever say this to a woman, right? That list is pretty long. Some of us have a few good things, and we come back to those all the time. When we say one of those, we're like, we've got to bounce back to that other list. Elkin is like, why, why are you crying? Why, why aren't you eating? It's because you don't have kids. You got me. That's better than 10 kids, isn't it? Now, if she had a two-by-four, the rest of the story would have been different. It really would have. Elkanah would have been laying on the ground with a big knot on his head. Didn't go that way, did it? Let's read on. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at the customary place besides the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. She made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer... And give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He'll be yours for his entire lifetime. And a sign that this has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she's praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. And seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. Must you come in here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. I'm very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the request you've asked of him. Thank you, sir, she exclaimed. She went back in and began to eat, and she was no longer sad. Church, listen to me. In this moment, when you think you're getting gypped in life, and life is stinky, what do you do? She said, I've had enough. I feel like I'm getting bullied by this other woman. Life is not good right now. My husband just doesn't know how to console me the right way. And what does she do? She goes to God. Church, what a, what a great thing to do. If, if you're upset, instead of being bitter and complaining and taking it to social media, take it to God. He can handle your cries. He can handle your worries. He can handle your bitterness. Oh, she was bitterness of soul and great anguish, and she did the right thing. She went right to God, 
the Lord of all heavenly armies, and prayed. Now, in this situation, of course, Eli stands back and thought she was drunk because she was praying. She's praying out loud. Her lips were moving. And sometimes people pray, they just bow their heads, they didn't do anything. But her lips, she was praying in anguish. He approached her and said, well, if that's the case, you're not drunk. You were just praying in anguish and, and I have your bitterness. You're crying out to God. May he hear you. And she needed to hear that. She needed the affirmation from another person. Said, you know what? God hears you. And she goes back. She's going to eat now. She's not sad anymore. You know why? Because she believes that God has heard her. As we read on this entire story, they went out, the family went up the next morning, and they went to worship, and you fast forward down this track a year later, she has a baby. Verse 21 to 23, let's pick it up there. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on to the annual, annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. But handed and go, she told her husband, let's wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best. Okay, here, gentlemen. Okay? Here's a good response from the gentleman. Whatever you think is best. Whatever, honey. He's learning, isn't he? There we go. Whatever you think is best. They returned home to Rama. So they returned back and after this boy has been weaned, which at that culture has probably been age two to three. And after that, Hannah takes him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. Look at verse 25. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he's granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he'll belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. I'm sure that was hard. For Hannah and Elkanah, their willingness to fulfill that vow, even at the great personal cost, but the evidence of godliness in her life is shown in it. She finally got a son. She prayed for so long. I finally have something that makes me feel complete. And what did she do with her son? She gave him back to God. God, he's yours. You've given me so much in a child. I'm giving my child back to you. You know, the idea is not that Hannah owned this child, but maybe lent him to the Lord and said the idea is that the child is her prayer, the fulfillment of her prayer to the Lord. And worship is a repeated character, characteristic of this family. And even in difficult situations, they worship the Lord Think about this. They would go worship even though she did not have a child and she still went to worship anyway. But then God gave her what she wanted and she continued to worship. Whether she had or had not, she worshiped God. Praising God on the day you give your little son away may not be easy, but it's a praise that God is pleased with. And when you read this, I think through these points again, listen, we're not perfect. My family's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Elkanah... Hannah, Penia, they were not perfect. But God provided for them. God used them. What I have belongs to God. My possessions, my children, my family, my money, church, everything I have belongs to God. Although I may keep it at my house, that house isn't even mine. It's God's. If God wants me to give something away, I have to be obedient and give it away. 
Am I willing to take my most valued treasure and give it to God? Listen, our children, my three boys, they're not for my glory. They're not for my social media glory. They're not so that I can boast and brag about them. So look at me. I'm an awesome dad. My children belong to God. I pray that they will honor God in how they live. Am I willing to give my child to God first? That's the question I have to answer. What about you? Our children are blessings from God. Our money is a blessing from God. Our clothes, our health is a blessing from God. All that we have, God has given us. What are we doing with it? This morning we have a special moment where a young family says, we've been blessed by God. We want to give back to God. And they wanted to do it publicly. So I'm going to ask Bill and Krista to come forward with Delaney. And as they come forward to join me up front, they shared with me, listen, we want to dedicate our child to God. And I don't know if it was at that time before or after that God laid on my heart the story of Hannah and her son and her child and giving it back to God. But the dedication of a child is a significant public act on the part of the parents. It's the parents saying, this is a blessing. God, you've blessed us with something we've always wanted. He he belongs to you. She belongs to you. And they felt this way about Delaney. As parents, they want to be godly parents. They want to raise Delaney in a way that's going to honor God. The only way they can do that is to go to God and say, God, we're dedicating our lives as parents to live as godly parents. We're dedicating our child to you so that you will bless our child and that Delaney will grow up to be a young girl that will come to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. That's why we do this. We pray for that future day of salvation. We pray for that future day when Delaney will say, I want to serve God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Jesus had the children come unto him so he could bless them. All through scripture, we see the importance, the value of these children. But again, it's giving what you have back to God saying, we don't own this. Whether it's our money, whether it's our children, whatever it may be. This morning you're saying, at least you've come to me and say, Delaney is our child, but our child belongs to God and we're dedicating our child to God. So this morning, Bill and Krista, you're placing Delaney in God's hands. You're expressing your desire and your intention that Delaney will grow up to serve God all the days of her life. It's a very important thing that you're doing this morning in front of everyone. So Bill and Krista, before God, before your family and friends, is it your desire and intention today that you are declaring Delaney to God? If so, answer, it is. And will you commit to do all in your knowledge and ability to raise and train Delaney to know, to love, and to serve God? If so, answer, we will. You know, we're called to live in a way, church, that enables and encourages people to see who Jesus is and why he came here. And I call us as this church family today to commit ourselves to God and to this family to pray for them. As they are doing right now, they're saying, we are giving our child back to God. We as parents want to be godly parents. And we're committing ourselves to be godly parents. We're committing our child to him. Church, will you commit to pray for this family? Will you commit to stand with them and encourage them the rest of the days of your life? If so, will you say we will? Do you have anybody who wants to come up and stand up with you right now we pray?
I don't know if you had any family you wanted to come up here. Parents? This is my favorite part right here. Come here, girl. I've got my cold hands. She's got a lot of grunting going on there. Oh, boy. Oh, girl. All right. What a precious child she is. As uh, many of you know, I've got to hold a lot of babies in this church. And uh, parents and children who have been dedicated, you know the value and the importance of praying for these families and praying for one another. So, church, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with us. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, a time to worship you. And God, we know as we come to worship you, there might be things that um, that maybe kept us as a family from truly worshiping you. But God, right now, this family, Bill and Chris have said, our child belongs to you, God. Our sweet little Delaney, our precious cargo, our wonderful child, whom we love with everything, belongs to you. And we want to raise her in a godly way. What a testimony of these parents to express this, to publicly come before the church and to announce this. So God, we take Delaney this morning. We commit her to you. We know she belongs to you. And we pray, Lord, for her health, for her strength, that she will grow up to know you and someday surrender her life to you. God, we know you love her. We know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to die for all of us, especially Delaney. So we pray, God, that she will come to know you and worship you the rest of the days of her life, that she will be a light into this world, that she will grow up to be a young lady, purity, and of love and encouragement to others. God, I pray for Bill and Krista. Help them to be godly parents. It is tough being a parent. It's easy to give in and to do what the rest of the world is doing. So God, I pray that you will help them to be godly parents and encouragement to other young parents around them. And Lord, I thank you for this church body who stands now to pray, to commit to praying for Bill and Krista and for Delaney. Lord, we commit Delaney to you now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. standing, everyone, please. You know, during the last 10 years, I've witnessed this church grow. I've seen people surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And well, I'm going to say over probably 100 people in this church have been baptized. And I've witnessed countless acts of you all being the church. In the past two years, I've seen God reveal himself in the hiring of Pastor Dave and the building of a church. This past week, as Julie Borden was dying, I witnessed God perform a miracle. How can you not want to be a part of this church? How can you not want to be involved in this ministry? How can you not want to walk 
with Jesus and see things accomplished. Church, everything we have, our possessions, our money, our jobs, everything we own, it's like, it's a tool. It's like a hammer or a shovel. Either we can accumulate all these tools, all these things in a, in a shed, or we can use all these tools to help change lives for eternity. So I want you to think about what you have that you're holding on to so tight, you need to let go. This applies not just to money, but the other gifts that we've been given. Some of you have been given the gift with the ability to lead, to teach, to encourage. God made it very clear where to give. We're to give our best. We're to give God our first fruits. We're to give with the right attitude of joyful giving. And in your bulletin, there's a little insert. Next week is Thanksgiving Sunday. And I encourage all of you, take a look, pray over it. God, what am I supposed to give? My heart, do I need to give financially? Do I, do I need to give by serving somewhere? Do I need to be more praising and less complaining? Do I need to pray more? God, where do I need to give? I'm going to ask you to please pray over that. And the next Sunday you bring it, we're going to, together, we're going to do this as a church. We're going to put them in the blessings box. We're going to bring a blessings box right up here. And if you forget to bring a slip, we'll have extra slips and you can refill it out. And we're going to make it a wonderful Sunday of giving. If you're not going to be here next week, you can take that slip right now and fill it out. Throw it in the back box. But I think it's important as a church that we don't just talk about giving and growing. We need to act on it. Hannah could have very easily said, I've got this baby, I've got this child. Thanks, God. I might come back and to Shiloh and dedicate it another time. She knew right away, God, I know what you've given me, and I pray for it. I'm giving back to you. So church, what about us? What about us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. I thank you, God, for all that you've given us, all you've blessed us with. God, as we move into this week of Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. Even if it is the worst day ever, we still have you, salvation. And even if we're facing the toughest of times, God, I know there's a couple hundred people in the church that will still pray for us and stand there for us. We are not alone. Most importantly, you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. Oh, we have so much to be thankful for. So God, thank you for all the blessings you give us. May this be an incredible week of giving thanks back to you. And Lord, work in our hearts and remind us, God, remind us what we are to give back to you. May it stretch us. May it change us forever. May it help us to continue to grow closer to you. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now.